You're listening to episode 35 of The Ken Show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Marcela, your host. Now, today's episode is kind of a virtual book club where I'm going to discuss the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle. If you haven't heard of the book, no worries. I'll give you a summary as we jump into the episode in a little bit. But first, I want to introduce you to my friend Antonella Sarabia, who I've invited onto the podcast to help me riff on the book and not just share our reflections, and, but also our questions. So Antonella Sarabia is a writer from Managua, Nicaragua, who works with all kinds of different brands from big banks to small startups on their content creation and branding and all kinds of stuff like that. She also has a, a blog and a really cool Instagram account where she shares cool quotes. An all-around awesome lady, and that's why she's one of my very best friends. We created the Everyday Salt Project together, along with our friend Consuelo Martinez a few years ago. And one of the reasons that I wanted to bring her onto the show to talk about Untamed is that we are very similar, and that we're both on a personal kind of spiritual journey and have been for years now. We both love the written word. We both are very curious about improving ourselves and our relationships. But at the same time, we're very different. And you know from listening to the podcast that I'm currently spending all of my time with my kids, other than recording the show. I'm dedicated to my kids right now. I have three of them, so it's quite the handful. Antonella, on the other hand, is dedicated to her work at the moment. And I'm really curious as to how we both will interpret the book Untamed, which is a personal development book about finding yourself and setting yourself free and all this kind of like motivational stuff. How will a stay-at-home mom and a hardworking freelancer kind of take the lessons from that and interpret it and implement them into their own lives? So I am really excited to bring Antonella onto the show and obviously because she's one of my good friends I love talking to her so <laughs> it's gonna be fun to have her on the show today and I am really looking forward to introducing you to the book Untamed if you haven't read it yet it is a must a must for men and women alike so before I spoil anything else let's get to it you're listening to the kin show where we explore the intricacies of the human heart, faith, relationships, spirituality, parenthood, and more, celebrating our journeys as seekers. We believe in love, in giving more of it to every person we interact with and to ourselves. We believe in living with intention for our children, for our communities, and most importantly, for ourselves. We believe we are all one family, one kin, kindred spirits loved unconditionally by God. And we believe it's more important to actually know God than to just know about God. Seeker, writer, photographer, your host Marcella Tremoro shares perhaps way too many personal stories and asks you the right questions to help you uncover what's best for your life. This is not our practice life, so let's make the most of it. Are you ready to hear inspiring interviews and coffee table chats with Marcella? Grab a cup of coffee and prepare to transform your definition of your dream life. Here's your host, boy band lover and master of deep conversations, Marcella Chamorro. Welcome to the Kinsho, Antonella. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So you and I are part of a book club or like what started off as a book club which you kind of lurked in because you never showed up or participated, really. Yes, I eavesdrop. <laughs> um, the, internet, the internet word for this is lurk. <laughs> but yeah, you eavesdropped on our WhatsApp and you never showed up to our meetings. But now the book club has kind of like become uh, a book club that never meets and doesn't read the same books at the same time and just kind of sends each other like book recommendations. So it's kind of like a book recommendation club. Would you it's agree? It's like a support system for me. For books. Because I'm like, yeah, I should read that. Mm -hmm. um, but it, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not pressed for time or anything like that. 
Well, so in this new morphed like version, you've been participating more. And I know that through these recommendations, like we both read this one book, Untamed. So I wanted to have kind of a, a sort of virtual book club meeting with you about this book because more than any other book that I've read in a long time, this book really like truly like blew my mind. And I think you had a very similar reaction from some conversations we had. So um, are you down? Should I am. I do this? I'm in. All right. So first of all, for, for people who haven't read this book or maybe haven't even heard of it, let's summarize Untamed. And, and I want to say for people who are listening that this is a personal development book. It's something that you would find like in the self-help aisle of Barnes and Noble or your local bookstore. So there's nothing that we're going to like spoil here. There are no plot twists, if you will, right? This is just us talking about the concepts um, that Untamed describes and kind of gets into. So, so for those who haven't read it, here's a summary of the book. Untamed is a book by Glennon Doyle, and it is about Glennon Doyle, yes, but it's also about like us. And that's why I liked it so much. Um, so Glennon Doyle's the author of many books. Many of them have been like New York times bestsellers and she's always written like important books, but this one felt different. Um, I looked it up on Amazon and on her website and everything says that it's a book about finding yourself. And that felt so cliche when when you read it you're like no it is like so much more powerful than that phrase i don't know if you felt something similar yeah it felt light it, it felt like really deep subjects in a really light uh tone and i i appreciated it because i think self-help gets a bad rap yeah the packaging of it was very like a punch to the gut but that you enjoyed I don't know. Yeah, it had more, it felt more like short stories and blog and kind of like this is what happened than this long narration, um, that, which I appreciated a lot because I think those kinds of lessons are more digestible if you get them in like bits. Yeah, and it, and to be fair, like she does tell a lot of her own story in the book. I mean... Um, she talks about meeting her wife, Abby, and she talks about her experiences as a mother and, you know, recovering from, um, alcoholism and like all these other, like really soul bearing, deeply personal experiences. But I don't really want to go into that that much. What I really am interested in is what this book said about you, what this book said about me. You know what I mean? Like when you read yeah. it, it, not so much about Glennon, but like, yeah, what's it, what clicked? what clicked in your life? Because to me, I was, I highlighted like half the book. Yeah. When you uh, first mentioned the review, I was like, I think I just have to read it again because like, I, I don't, I don't even remember. I, I, I highlighted half of the book. Like well, my well, jaw dropped all, for half of the book. When did you read it? Like, is it a recent or was it a while ago? I feel like it was in the beginning of quarantine, maybe, or maybe the beginning of the year. I think the beginning of quarantine. So March, March, April. Okay. And, you know, uh, similar to myself, I feel like you have read a lot of self-help. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> we are I, very similar in, in sometimes in our reading preferences. I mean, I fought it for a while, but I just like it. But also you and I are similar in that we're on like kind of a spiritual journey, um, discovering of the yeah. true self. So well, I feel we like vary in our styles, right? Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. How would you describe this variation? I'm curious. Um, I'm more, uh, Glennon and Mark Manson and you are more, um, Glennon, uh, veering towards the, maybe, um, I don't want to say nicer spectrum, but just gentler. Um, think so. I think so. Well, th that this reminds me of something that I. Don't mind the bad word. I, uh huh. I um, when so when I was reading the book, there was this important. I feel like this this really strong theme of like, especially in the beginning of the book, talking about containing ourselves, like how we are taught to contain ourselves. You know. Um, not, not only just as women, but like a lot as women, 
but I, I think about it a lot for everyone, how like we're meant to fit into these molds and how, you know, we're kind of meant to be easy. The easier are as you are as a person, I feel like people, the more likable, the more, you know, all of these things. Um, and I have always personally been told since I was little that I'm intense, that I'm, you know, strong willed, that I am, you know, I guess even by my family called mean, you know, I've always been reminded of stories of when I was like three years old and, and bossing my cousins around. Um, so I've always kind of been dealt a story of myself as intense and that has been portrayed in a negative light. Um, is that, is that something that you got from the book too, that there, there was a sense of like what fighting what we should be versus what we are? Yeah, like I, I, um, I really, when I ended some of the chapters, I really, you know, sat down I put the book down and I, and I really tried to be honest with myself. Uh, I know we discussed, um, the golden, uh, crowd and, uh, which was just that kind of group that, um, seemed to, everyone seemed to be in awe of, you know, just like the popular kids and the people that seemingly belonged. Um, I think, and I also tried to reflect on, she makes a lot of references to this, the tiny, um, experiences that you have when you're small. I think, you know, 10 years old, eight years old, six years old. And I, I definitely felt that I was slowly, I, I take full responsibility that I slowly boxed myself in as a, as a girl, I felt intense. I also felt like a tomboy. Um, and so I feel like I created this defense kind of system where, uh, those things that I tell you, like the bad words and stuff like that, where it's kind of like a brush off of, so maybe I'm not that feminine, who cares? Or maybe I'm intense, but you're lame or, and I've, I see how I started creating this, like, uh, defense system that just stopped me from being everything. You know what I mean? Like maybe I was a tomboy, but maybe I did have a feminine side. So I, I those labels did started uh, limiting me. And yeah, how I, I think saw myself. She describes the goldenness in the book as goldenness requires contrast. Right. And you're describing that basically that you were creating a contrast between yourself and other people. Right. If I'm not, if I can't be this, then maybe I'll be, you know, um, and in the golden thing, the one thing that we talked about at once, um, the idea where there was, there was this crowd that was just kind of, um, I don't know how you would describe it. So I don't, um, exclude people from the conversation who haven't read it, but I mean, uh, Glennon just describes the popular crowd. She was, yeah. uh, on the periphery of that crowd and then ended up kind of being in it is basically the summary, I think, of what, what she discusses. And I think we all have had experiences with um, being in or out of the popular crowd. Yeah, and I, I, I'll tell you, I don't think that I've ever had to even, I thought, to be honest with you, that I had never thought to, I had never worried about that. But the truth is, is that, um, I do think I was probably, um, in a goal in kind of like that golden light. And I think that whoever wasn't maybe kind of like resigned themselves from certain expectations. Cause they're like, Oh, I'm not in. So I think they had a freedom that I didn't have because if I wasn't in, in a certain kind of quote unquote belonging, I also knew that there were rules to stay within that circle. And, um, I knew I couldn't be intense and I couldn't be a certain way and I couldn't, and I think that they're in, in, in feeling like you don't belong, you actually also acquire a certain amount of freedom to just be who you are. So wait, so you said that you felt intense when you were younger, but then what, as you grew up and into high school and kind of received the grace of the golden light of the popular crowd, you feel like you had to let that go and kind of f fit in? I just feel like um, your place, you kind of realize that you, you feel like you belong in a place, right? And then you kind of, it just kind of happens that you become tamed because you, you learn the rules in staying in those, you know, 
um, to stand the of, light. Yeah. Like, and it's not that you think that I think it just becomes second nature. You see, um, Oh, she did this. I do this. You're not supposed to do this. And so I think that whatever conclusions I had made when I was small, um, when I arrived at that belonging, you know, in high school, we're all insecure. We're all, we all like someone and we all want to kind of like, um, fit in and you don't want to be too intense. That taming finished there. Like it, 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 it received a polish. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's this quote from the book that I, when I was reading it, I immediately thought of you. Um, <laughs> I sent it to you. <laughs> she said, when I was in my 20s, I believed that somewhere there existed a perfect human woman. She woke up beautiful, unbloated, clear-skinned, fluffy-haired, fearless, lucky in love, calm, and confident. Her life was easy. She haunted me like a ghost, and I tried so hard to be her. 100%. I just thought of you because I, I know we've had conversations like this in the past, but also because I never feel that, and I am... A perplexed by what makes uh, someone have that desire to fit into that should, that they should be a certain way, and what makes someone never even consider that? And I just don't know the answer. I think that that's why I tell you that she talks about kind of like that golden crowd, and I really reflected into. Um, it's in that kind of light and in those like, um, fabrications of the goldenness that we, uh, seem to conclude, you know, there must be this perfect girl. And, you know, for, for, from the outside, maybe that's what we actually think, you know, there's always this like super popular girl and maybe she's extra thin and she has, um, think about, just think about all the qualities that you might think that this, uh, fake perfect girl would have, um, just across the board, good situation. And you assume that she's, that's just what I perceived. And, and it was, a, it was the kind of idea that I dragged through the years with me. How and did it, it feel? It tormented me because I felt like I was chasing a unicorn. And, and I think that it's, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but it comes out in my writing because I think the reason that I want to write is let people know that this does not exist. And it, it's in this brokenness and it's in the, you know, some Mondays are just not that good and you wake up bloated. And, and I think it's in that peaceful acceptance of that, that you find a really happy self. And, and it's, it's, you've gone through that even with me where I'm not that golden person. No, <laughs> but yeah, and I, I, I had that view of you. You had a, a, a very different view of what I And I am. like you so much more now. <laughs> <laughs> As I broke in front of you. Yeah, because you're so, I, I like, I help you, you help me. Um, there's a sort of boundary that comes down. I actually feel that when I, when I annihilated that like golden perfection girl, uh, image, I started seeing people for, uh, who they were a little better. And I started understanding also that I could contribute to their lives that, that I, um, I just always assumed you were in a good place always. And that you could handle everything. So I, that also excludes me from having a great friendship, right? Because I feel, just assume you don't need me. Yeah, 100%. Now, I'm curious about the, the transformation of letting that go of the, not only that other people are not golden, but that you don't have to be like other people uh, or other women in this case. Um there's there's another quote from the book there's i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna share a lot of quotes but she talks about <laughs> she says when a woman finally learns that pleasing the world is impossible she becomes free to learn how to please herself and that it takes special bravery to honor yourself when the crowd is pressuring you not to right when is it that that kind of switched for you because you know i've had um yeah, I just feel on 
like I'm the wrong person to share this because I feel like I was born a little bit with this like F you <laughs> Yeah. No, you really were attitude and so I'm I'm more curious. No, no, so many times we've talked and you're like, really? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't understand. So I, I I'm more curious about people who weren't born with it who acquire it. Um I think that uh, this has been a long time coming for me. And I think that um, it really did start um, after college, I think, when I decided to go to New York and nobody really thought it was a good idea. Um, and I think that every year I've kind of like, I, I always see myself, this is going to sound really weird, but um, I see myself kind of like a transformer that like every year loses like this chunk of like metal and um it's just kind of been um daring rebel re act one after the other and i think that it really clicked for me i think this like towards last year and this year um I kind of closed my eyes. I looked down and I was like, I'm over this. I'm over these expectations. I'm over, um, I'm just going to really let them say whatever they want and conclude whatever they want. Because the truth is, is that you're going to have a pretty, um, it's not really a lot of fun when everybody agrees with you, first of all. Because <laughs> people, uh, the, the thing that I, I think what, what it required of me was noticing that people's expectations are not really that great. People don't really believe in things. They don't believe in people. They don't believe in love. They don't believe in businesses. They don't believe in ideas. They don't believe in extraordinary careers. So I, when I started noticing that, and I think it's when I started actually like really being disciplined with prayer and with my friendships and with these realizations that people need me as well, um, I started realizing that the people around me that have so much to say don't really believe in things. And so I was like, but I do. And I think that was my, my turnaround point that I was like, I do believe in things. So I'm just going to close my eyes and I'm going to keep walking. Well, she says in the book that it's not another quote, <laughs> not the cruel <laughs> criticism from folks who hate us. That scares us away from our knowing it's the quiet concern of those who love us. And I think that walking alongside you, like that has been a big theme, um, in, in the past of, of, it's not just people who, you know, have random thoughts about you. It's people who are closest to you. No. hundred uh, percent. I think, which makes it even more difficult and painful, I think. Yeah, because um, I think for me, I always, I don't know about you, but I always has, have always taken it personally when people that are around me think are concerned for me because I interpret that as um, I can't handle the situation. And so I, I had to get to a point, I had to do a lot of things that disappointed people. Um and I think that gave me strength because I was like, you know what? This is my life and this is my path. And, you know, what, what, who cares? Yeah, there's this, uh, there's, a, I once it, read Sorry, mm -hmm. but I have to ask you. Yeah. How does it seem from, with your experience, looking at someone, you have this, you have this like, that's something I've always wanted to ask you. You have this amazing perspective. You have this independence on kind of like this FU approach. How does it feel to watch someone, I guess, first not even have it and then watch someone acquire it? Um, it's frustrating <laughs> 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 because I want to be like, who cares? You do you, right? Um, when people say things to you and, and it's frustrating to, to have the patience um, to not interfere, right? And to not and to let somebody grow. Uh, at their own pace, it can be frustrating, but it's also beautiful to watch that muscle develop that that muscle of creating boundaries of honoring themselves. There's a c s Lewis quote that I love, um and he says, 
how monotonously alike are the great tyrants and conquerors have been, how gloriously different are the saints. And I love that quote because for me, we're all meant to be different. We are all meant to just bring to light like the gifts that God have, has given us and we all have different ones. And so I have always valued the fact that, you know, my older brother might be timid or soft-spoken and I am not, you know, and, and it's interesting because I, I come across like how I am describing myself in this very intense, fiery manner, but you who are one of my closest friends, would you perceive me that way? No, not at all. How would you perceive me if I had, if you have three words to describe my, um, not me, but like how I am in a, in a friendship, in a relationship, like how I am person to person. I mean, are we going to get into the Enneagram? (laughs) No, but am I, am I intense or am I soft? I think you're, you have this, like, um, this godly intensity though. Uh, like I feel very, I, it's very much like, um, what you see is what you get. I also think that intensity is also, uh, misinterpreted because something I hate about the word of passion and, and also about intensity is that there are two different kinds of intensities. One is that it's very deep, you know, and that's how I consider you. Like it's very truthful. It's very straightforward. Uh, it's, it's right to your heart. And then there's the other one that I, that I hate, that I think is ego-based and that I, I stay away from those kind of ideas where it's, it's too much. And you can tell that there's like a force. Like aggressive? Yeah, but it's like fueled by ego. It's fueled by like, let me show you what I can do, or let me show you how great I am, or let me show the world that I don't care. And I hate that because, um, that's not where art comes from. That's not where godliness comes from. That's not, I don't like that. I don't think good things are done from there. But I do think that there's a kinder intensity where it's just very much like, hey man, sorry, but that's the truth. You know, this is the mm-hmm. godliest thing I can think of right now. And and I remember in my, in my hardest moments, uh, you were very honest you were like, this is what I see. And yeah, what you're going through kind of sucks. And I don't, I, I think that's intense and that it's real and it's, there's a lot of life there, but that's it. I don't think it's like, Oh, hold your horses. I can't digest this girl. You know what I mean? And well, I mean, I, I think it's always hard to watch people who you care about go through hard things. I mean, you had to do it for the past year with me. Yeah. You had to sit by when I was puking my life away and going to the hospital every few days for IVs and couldn't sit up in bed. You know, how did that feel for you? It's kind of similar in the sense that like I was going through physical and then because of the physical ailments, like spiritual ailments, but, and then maybe I watched you go through more emotional things, right? Yeah. Uh, and they're hard to watch the person that you care about go through those things. So to watch you come into your own, let's say, and to honor yourself um, more and more, and you say it's each year, let's say, it's it's frustrating at times, it's gratifying at times, and it is, it's really, I think it's it's like a spiritual process. It's like it's it's watching somebody come into their own godly gifts is really. It's a beautiful thing to watch. I agree. 100% agree. When I was making my notes for this episode, what I really realized is that this entire book is, they call about finding yourself. I don't think so. I think the entire book is about being loyal to yourself. Because there's this quote that she says that I, 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 it basically for me summarizes the entire book. When she says... Every time you're given a choice between disappointing someone else and disappointing yourself, your duty is to disappoint that someone else. Your job throughout your entire life is to disappoint as many people as it takes to avoid disappointing yourself. And that to me is everything. That to me is the entire book. Like you don't even have to read the rest of the book if you, if you understand (laughs) that sentence fully enough, you know, um, 
And so to watch somebody else, in this case you and other people in my life, disappoint other people to avoid disappointing themselves, it's it's very powerful to watch. Yeah, I, I think um, we all go through that. And, and I think, um, I don't know who said it. I feel maybe, it, you know, I don't think it's Keating or Tom, Thomas, um, Thomas uh, Merton or anybody like that, but someone along those lines said that the point of life is unbecoming. And um, I think it is that it's, it's, it's every time you disappoint someone else other than yourself, um, you feel truer to that, to that kind of like godly version of yourself or that divine version of yourself. And you, unbecome or unlearn those things that you learned at childhood. Like, I don't think that we should regret our circumstances or the way we interpreted the experiences that we had when we were young, but I do think it's our responsibility to unlearn and unbecome them. And I, I don't know about you, but, um, it's taken me a long time to get here, but I actually feel like I have the life I've always wanted. It's the exact, like by definition, I've already achieved success. And what my next goal is to allow it to continue to blossom into what I know the universe can offer me. But uh, 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 the reason I feel like I have achieved success is because I have an awareness every day of that choice. And I don't think you can get very far without that choice. Which choice is that? The, the, I choose myself. And it's going to hurt and it's going to be uncomfortable. And sometimes, you know, I'm going to go home kind of sad or I'm not going to have such a fun day, but it's going to feel peaceful. That leads me to an area of my life where I do struggle a ton. And that is, can I choose myself when I have to keep my kids alive? <laughs> yeah, obviously. it's so much easier for me. Well, no, it's, I wouldn't say that. It's just a different... Um, I struggle with, with right now in the, in the place where we are in our lives, I struggle with different things. And this is um, something that is a big learning area for me at the moment. And it's been almost six years since I've become a mother, but it's, I'm still constantly working on it. In, and in the book, Glennon describes this as, she says, the call of motherhood is to become a model, not a martyr. And when I read right. that, I was like, you hit me. Like, that's, 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 that's where I'm really messing up. Um, and it's, I don't know, for, for me, I'm curious what it is like to watch me go through that journey, like that journey, because maybe to you, mommy guilt doesn't make sense. Or does it? I think, um, well, we have a chat where two of the three people in the chat are moms, right? And it's, um, it's hard because there are a lot of things where I, I'm scared to kind of, um, share my instinctual take on something because I don't know if I'm being inconsiderate to the responsibilities that you guys have, you know? Um, I think it's really hard for me and it's opened my mind and my heart to, from where I stand, I don't know if I see all the cards, you know what I mean? It's very easy for me to be like, have a me day, <laughs> but I don't know if you can have a me day. And I, I don't know what it would look like for a mom that always takes a me day. You know what I mean? Um, well, but you do know, for example, what it's like to be codependent. And that's a 100%. very similar, uh, it's a very similar problem in the sense that, or experience and that like you're kind of slowly dying to yourself <laughs> so that the other person can live, you know? Um, yeah. so while you don't have to clean diapers, you do have other relationships where you have to put yourself first. So I think that on some level there is, there is understanding. Yeah. I mean, I think I live with my mom, um, 
obviously with the whole pandemic thing, it's even a heavier responsibility because I want to make sure that I do nothing to expose her to any dangerous conditions. Um, so I understand that there is, you know, a relationship or a responsibility that I, ha I have in my everyday life. But I think that um, a slight, I don't want to say codependency, but to serve others is an honorable thing. But we do need to love ourselves enough to go, okay, I had an exhausting day. Uh, this is this is where I need to draw the line so I can continue to nourish myself. Um, I don't know how one does that in the complications of all the types of responsibilities and relationships that we all have, especially now when everyone's at home. But I think what I've seen with you is that at least over time, you're more aware of when that kind of like, when you're getting into uh, the reserve fuel, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like you own more like, I'm getting burned right now. Like this is my I, limit. Yeah, I think before, and I think, I think more than anything, that's revealing of a good relationship with yourself. Uh, I think most people complain and they keep doing it And they don't even, I think some people in their, in the depths of codependency don't even want to be saved. They kind of like the complaining. Yeah, there, there's this, this part of the book where Glennon, she writes, answering the question of who do I love is not enough. We must live lives of our own. To right. live a life of our own, each woman must also answer, what do I love? What makes me come alive? What is beauty to me? And when do I take the time to fill up with it? Who is the soul beneath all of these roles? And I was like, that's why I podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I need to ship my kids off for two hours so I can record these conversations that may or may not be heard by anyone. But at the same time, what, what did, maybe it's only for me. Maybe it's only for you. And that's okay. Maybe it's not. And I, and I love getting emails from people who listen and stuff. But is it really that selfish if I just do it for me? Maybe not. No, not. not I mean, um, Kobe Bryant uh, has a, this beautiful quote that says, um, you have to dance beautifully in the box that you're comfortable dancing in. My box was to be extremely ambitious within the sport of basketball. Your box is different than mine. Everyone has their own. It is your job to try to perfect it and make it as beautiful of a canvas as you can make it. And I think that he's right. I think we're supposed to dance beautifully. And I think it's, that's like, you can believe in a lot of magic and you can believe in a lot of cool stuff when you kind of see yourself unravel. So I think that the whole thing of life is having relationships, having responsibilities, but waking up every day, trying to do that dance. And there's some days that you will not be able to, but the whole point is, is that you keep getting up, right? Because it is not, I don't want to say it's not worth living, but I would think it's a shame if you leave this life and didn't feel in awe of yourself often. What about the painful moments though? You mentioned pain and uh, I, it brings I, me to a good point where it's like, we're all talking about, you know, we've been discussing like, very fun things and coming alive and letting go yeah. of be, being your true self. But what do you do when, sh when things get real? <laughs> We're all painful. Um, yeah. Uh, we both had a tough year. Let's, I we, mean, I've had a tough seven years, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've had some really tough years, you know? And I think I, that's why I, I love Mark Manson because I really do think, you know, people ask that often. I don't know if you feel that, but I don't come talking about dancing and inspiration ever forgetting about the pain because pain is an everyday thing. You know, I want to eat bread and have wine and not work out every day. Uh, it's just, but you have to, you have to get better at the suffering. You really do. If you want some of the glory, it's just, And so you fall in love with it eventually because now, I mean, you, you were the one that so many times on my really hard days, you're like, tomorrow will be better. And I a hundred percent felt after the worst days that I've ever gone through, 
I felt that armor fall and I felt lighter and better and more swift of uh, an athlete or a person or a spirit. So I, I, you cannot have glory or adventure without a little bit of, you know, I don't know what's going on right now. Yeah, she, Glennon writes in the book, first the pain, then the waiting, then the rising. All of our suffering comes when we try to get to our resurrection without allowing ourselves to be crucified first. And I was like, it's true. You know, yeah. when I was in the worst of the worst last year in, in severe, like not only physical pain, but spiritual and emotional pain because of the physical pain. <laughs> um, I, my first instinct was end this, end it. You know, I, I, I cannot handle another nine months or eight months of this or whatever. Um, but I had to allow myself to go through that. I mean, I remember there was a, a turning point when I went to therapy, uh, when I was really, really physically suffering. And my therapist, what she said was, you're suffering double. You're suffering for your pain today because it hurts. But you're suffering extra because you're anticipating the pain in the future. So if you just stay in the now without thinking about what's to come, you have your pain. You literally cut it in half. And that was, for me, a big turning point because I realized I just have to sit in this and let go of the rest. You know what I mean? I think you reminded us both. Um, I don't think I was so great at having that vision, but if I could like say it in a more eloquent way. I think that you reminded us both that we were both having a Phoenix moment and that the burning would end. And I remember you would tell me, um, it, uh, this is going to end all the, the hardships that I was going through. And I remember that you would tell me, um, I just need to end. This is almost done. And then I'm going to be okay. So I think you've always had that clarity. And I think that you kind of instilled in me, and, and I still, to this day, even in the middle of a workout, when I don't want to work out anymore, I'm like, the, the burning is going to end. And I have the clarity that in the next half hour, it's over. I have proof and a reminder of this downstairs in my house. Every time I walk downstairs and I see the table that Juan Jose <laughs> carved his name into... <laughs> <laughs> while well, you and I sat upstairs on my couch and discussed whatever was happening at the moment um, and just allowed the carving to happen. I have to get that table fixed eventually. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, and that, that brings me to numbing. You know, it. Glennon says in the book, it takes a lot of effort for a live human being to stay half dead. And, you know, she's talking about her alcoholism. She's talking about, you know, her eating disorders and all of these things to avoid the feeling. And I'm curious, how do you numb at this point in our journeys? Because, you know, I used to use achievement, to be honest, um, as a numbing mechanism. And then I think I went on to scrolling on Instagram. That was a big source of numbing for me which is now why I delete Instagram. And, and if you follow me and see that I upload photos, it's because I download Instagram, upload the photo, and then I delete it. <laughs> But, and now, you know, there's no real online shopping as a numbing mechanism. And, I, and I'm curious, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking to myself, like, what, what is it that I'm doing now? Or am I just facing it? You know, um, I do a lot of running from my children. To numb mm -hmm. when I can't handle it anymore. What, what do you What do you do to numb? I actually think I'm in a transition of creating new bad habits. Um, I think that I got outed on all my bad habits. I like you always called me out on. I'd get lost. I was going like, to ask by who? By who? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'd get like you'd totally call me out when I'd dip. Like I'd totally disappear and. Um, I think that 
the self-loathing is, is really not what it used to be. And, um, I'm in this constant state of, if it makes me uncomfortable, do it anyway. So I think that, um, I'm trying to be really honest about like the inevitable sulk. And I am very open with you guys and a few other friends. Like I'm not having a good day. Like yesterday was a frustrating day for me. I didn't conclude anything of it, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a fun day. Um, and I just let it be bad. And then I ate some chips at the end of the day, which I wish I hadn't done. I had worked out instead, but I just didn't do it. So I think there's a sort of, um, giving up that maybe I do, but it, there's no more um there's no more guilt or shame attached to it. I just give myself a break. And I feel it like I was like, this is not a good Monday. Yeah, there's there's a part in the book that if there's there's two things I take away from this book. It's the the quote on disappointing other people versus yourself. And this other quote where she says, I can feel everything and survive. I can use pain to become. And that using pain to become, I think is, is almost like it is the journey because, and I think about this a lot with my kids when I, you know, try to shield them from experiences. Um, and, and there's a whole, like, there's a whole thing about like, we want to be loyal to ourselves. Right. But then how do you also in your relationships, whether it's me with my children or you with your mother or, any, or friends, anyone, how do you allow other people to be loyal to themselves as well? And so it's hard for me to watch my children suffer. Um, it's, it's, as, as it's hard for me to watch you suffer, but it's particularly hard for a mother to watch their children, her children suffer but you also have to understand while you're watching it that, you know, the growth happens with the damage, not with the years is, is a saying, you know. And so they will use that pain to become and just like other people use the pain to become. I don't know if you find it also as, as difficult to watch. Um, I can say two things to that. And I, I, in the book, from one of the quotes you had... Um, Glennon says, I see that you're upset. Are you ready for a solution yet? Or do you just want to feel this way for a while? And I think that that's the attitude I've taken. Uh, I think it's really hard to watch people suffer as it's been very hard to watch myself linger in some things. And I think that I remember a friend of mine literally had this conversation. I want to say seven to five years ago. And said about another friend, like, it's painful to watch her go in and out of this. And I kind of just said it instinctually, and it goes back to this phrase. And um, people also need to feel trust instead of the concern we were talking about in the beginning. And so I think that when you let people know, like, you're going to figure it out. It's just a matter of whether you want to look at the solution yet. And so I think... In my life, what I try to do is instill that trust of eventually you're going to hit rock bottom and eventually you're going to get up. But if you don't want to do it yet, it's up to you. And so I feel like that that's the way I talk to myself and that's the way I talk to, to the people around me to kind of be like, you can do this. Don't ever think you can't, but it just might, not, might be your time yet. Yeah, there's this part in the book where Glennon talks about how she was afraid for her child to her daughter to try out for soccer and how oh, yeah. she was um, basically scared of her daughter getting hurt, not physically, but emotionally, maybe physically as well. But it seemed that like trying to protect her from not get, making the team. And she says, soccer saved my daughter. The fact that I didn't save my daughter from soccer saved my daughter. And that really resonated with me as a mother, um, because I don't tend to save my friends from their suffering. You know, like I can try and help you. I'm a two on the Enneagram. You know, I will always be like, oh, here's this, you know, let me edit your email for you and let me whatever. But it's, you know, yeah. you have to really particularly ask me for help for me to do that. Um, you give guidance. You don't do the lifting. But with my kids, I'm like, just don't do it. Just, just let me do it for you. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's a very interesting topic that you bring up, like the, 
trusting that they'll figure it out and trusting that they'll be okay. Like that's something that I can, I can definitely work on. It's not that I don't trust them. It's that I don't, maybe it's that I don't trust myself to be able to watch it. You know what I mean? Um, Well, it hurts, but I think, um, my parents were great parents. Awesome. But I think if, if I didn't, if there's something that I was missing, it was that kind of like, certainty that I could, that I could figure some of the hard stuff out. Like they overprotected me. And obviously I, not obviously because everybody interprets things differently, but I interpreted that, like I mentioned in the beginning that I didn't know that concern makes me feel like, I don't know if I can do it. And so I had to build that up by myself. So I realized that if I can give people what I was missing, you know, it's empowering for someone to be like, you'll figure it out. Just might take you a while. Yeah, kind of like, you got this. Yeah, so that makes you feel like, you know, you've done that to me. A lot of times I've been having a really bad day, and you always tell me, you'll figure it out. It just might not be this time. And so that kind of wakes up this little fire inside of you that goes, well, it's going to be this time or the next time, but I'm not going to go through this five times. And so there you go. You believe in yourself, but it was fueled by, it's kind of like what they say that, it's it's not the first person that guts up in a crowd, but it's the second person. And so it gives you that opportunity for that second person to be you. What does that mean, the first person, the second person? Uh, it says that the people that create, the person that creates like a movement or like um, that gives everybody else the courage is when one person raises their hand. It's that second person that really frees everybody else. Right. And creates a movement because with only yeah. one, it's not a movement. Uh-huh. Right. I get you. So that second person is like that first me too is very important. It moves the people because it, it kind of um, opens the floor to everybody else. It's not just one crazy guy. It's uh, other people. Someone else agrees with you. So I think that it's very powerful when someone gives you the opportunity to be that second person to create this like it's not one person that believes in you i'm gonna hop onto the bandwagon and i'm gonna be that second person as well okay i, I understand it there's this this is the last quote i promise i'm gonna share from the <laughs> she says mm-hmm. our she talks about her family it's a blended family very modern family um she says our family is specific because we are specific people we did not use a blueprint created by someone else and then struggle to fit each of us inside We create and recreate our family again and again from the inside of each one of us out. We will continue to do that forever. So each of us will always have room to grow and grow and still belong. That is what family is to me, where we are both held and free. And I think that that's, I mean, it's it's something that exists in true friendship to allow somebody to grow and in true, you know, loving relationships. But it, in, in, Talking about how you were missing in your family, this feeling of you got this, how do you cultivate that so your family can continue growing or in in a relationship that's missing a concept or missing some kind of fundamental, you know, uh, respect or trust or X, Y, and Z because no family is is the same or no relationship is the same. In a relationship that's missing something, how would you recommended that to allow that space for growth to allow for that whatever was missing to be folded in you know over time or to grow to blossom i think um we all have to figure out what are the feelings we were missing you know what i mean and i think um that's going to be a huge like uh, i'm going to tell you most of my anxiety growing up could it be um, could it be drawn back to thinking I couldn't do something. So I had to, I literally had to make a short list of even dumb stuff made me like, let's say they would tell me about a, a tough workout and I immediately, my response was to be anxious. Logically, that's not, that's, it's not logical to have that response, but that was my response. And so I slowly had to, I I remember I always avoided numbers. I avoided measurements. I avoided, and I literally went in that direction. 
I realized these are the things that make me anxious. These are the things that I don't like doing. So I'm going to do them. And I proved to myself, I do do hard things. I can reach the numbers. I can reach the goals that I set. And so it's your responsibility to figure all that out. But it's, you gotta, you gotta go through the work. Like, I, I can't tell you how many times I went to an event that I thought I couldn't like stomach or I went and, or, or I did something that was really scary to me and I had a stomach ache the whole time. And then when I drove home, I felt like a million bucks. That's not a logical process, but you got to brave through it. Yeah. I think for me, this book when, you know, it's called untamed, like if it untamed me in any way, the reading of it is more for me was about my mothering, my process as a mother, untaming how I mother, not just for the kids, but how I feel during that experience of mothering. You know what I mean? Um, not so much how I treat them, but more how I treat myself yeah, how as you a like mother. Experience it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm still working on it, right? What would you say is your, and I just want to say like, I give myself props being able to do that in quarantine when there's no school. <laughs> no, you've been amazing to watch. Like I'm, I'm, um, I'm also just, incredibly p- privileged to have childcare, but I've never had my children home with me for this long without breaks. Yeah. But I think it's still like, I was talking to my mom. It's been incredible to watch you guys because what seemed difficult in the beginning, you're, you guys are juggling four balls now at this point you know what i mean like it's just you just acquired the the muscle got stronger yeah and so it's beautiful to see because you're like wow we really can you really can figure it out and in a very loving way because you know your kids are happy kids hmm sometimes (laughs) (laughs) a lot of the time um what is the way that you'd say that this book kind of helped you on tame I think I, I feel differently to what you said in the book. If I had just read the chapter about the cheetah, if I had just read that chapter. Tell us about the, the chapter think, for people who haven't read it. Uh, I don't really remember the details, uh, but... Um, there's a cheetah there's, in, a, in an animal park. Who's yeah, been, there's a cheetah in an animal park. Who's, who's been trained. Been, who's been trained and she's been um, in her cage for I don't know how long, but there is a moment where she has for the show. She does, she exhibits or she's allowed to kind of exercise her instinct. Right. So I don't remember if it's that she pounces on an animal or what happens. Um, but you can see that, she did this. Like she looks at the prey. She 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 kind of like um, I don't know if she lures it in. You're gonna have to remind me of the details because I. She's really walking just... like back and forth, like she's in her cage after the show, and she's walking back and forth, like prowling, right. kind of, and and enjoying it, <laughs> like, like I totally looking imagined. out. Yeah, and I think that it was in that description that I realized in a really mundane life, um, we all, or I, at least I should only speak for myself, but I have these moments where I feel wild and true and instinctual. And I feel beautiful and strong and, and that's often compromised by um, the shoulds and the expectations. And so I, I said, okay, two things are going to happen. After I read that, I said, I'm a cheetah. Because there are moments where I really feel that. Like I really feel wild and free and good and that I'm aligned with nature. Um, and what I need to do is, whether you believe in the universe or God or in meditation or whatever it is, I want to make sure that I I unbecome as much as possible so that that instinct is kind and and wild in a good way, aligned with nature and not against it. For me, that was the book. Like, for me, that story and the title were, will forever be with me. 
And how do you do that in quarantine? Because when I read this book, and I was, I left, it left me completely like on fire, you know, on fire, inspired, ready to like take on the world, you know, like the cheetah is ready to be released. And then it's like, I can't go out, can't do anything. We're in quarantine, coronavirus, COVID-19. We're stuck in staring at the same four walls. It's not that I put the fire out, but it's like, how do you carry the fire in this isolation? You know what I mean? Yeah, but I I don't know if, if it's... I always try, when I feel really peaceful or really happy... I always try to um, bend the mind a little and I try to think, okay, so if I lost my car and I lost this and I lost that, could I still be happy? Or could I still be at peace? Or if I don't have jobs anymore and I have nothing coming in, will I still feel this sense of self and this godliness? And it's hard to answer that question, but I have to feel like I get to a point where I can say, I can try to have that peace. And so I, I try to understand that these emotions are emotions that I am the one, I am the generator of these emotions and that certain experiences are easier to pull those out of me, right? Like they just, they make it easier, but I have to learn to do that myself. Um, Cause I, I really do want to train my mind to appreciate and feel peace and feel thriving even in, the most boring of situations. I'm trying, but I'm not really great at it, but I'm trying. So it's, it's kind of like just untaming more in a, in an internal, internal way and not really like working, working more of in the mindset and not so much on the cheetah run. Yeah. Like, um, I, 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 maybe it's more of a spiritual thing, but I really want to, like, I've even thought like, you know, what if we were really like, can't leave the house, can't get out, like more of like, there's some people that couldn't leave the apartment. You know what I mean? Like we live in these open spaces, mm-hmm. but I really try to think God is always with me. The universe can always be aligned with me. There's always peace available to me. Um, the mind gets different activities to do if this scenario changes, but the mind is the same. So how can I try to do this? Um, with what I have, I'm not always great at it, but it's, it's, it's a, it's an honor or it's a noble quest, I guess. So for somebody who hasn't read it, I would, uh, I would take the liberty to say that you recommend it. <laughs> I hope we convince you. <laughs> what would you say to them before they read it? Like how would, how, if somebody is not convinced, how would you prepare them for it? Um, I think the coolest thing about the book is why not, why not read about something that might turn the tables around and might teach you that everything that you know is actually wrong. Why not do it? I think it'd be, if it's a dumb read, you never, you never read self-help again, but Um, I think it's kind of cool to put yourself in a position where it's like everything that you think is real is tested. And I highly recommend, um, doing it with a friend. I think, um, whether it's mind blowing for you or not, which I highly doubt it will, it won't be. But I think if you talk to someone about it, there will never be a lack of conversation for sure. And I think it's an awesome thing to connect with people, right? Like we could talk about this all day. We could. And I think it's something that if something changes your life for the better, there's, you can't put a value on that. Right. Because there's so many years left where you've already been impacted by it. Does that make sense? Like the, the years that I have left where Marcela mothers differently, where Marcela brings different creations to the world, where Marcela uses her gifts that whatever gifts that God gave me into the world for all the years that are left. Like there's no putting a value on that. All right, so that is our first virtual book club that I've ever had on The Kin Show. So thank you for listening. And a very, very special thank you to Antonella for being on the show. Like I said, 
you know, we could talk about this all day. This book was amazing. And I really hope that if you haven't read it yet, you are inspired after this conversation to check it out. I really recommend it. And, you know, just like we shared on the show, Antonella and I are in very different places in our lives and both of us love the book. So a lot of it is written for women, but it's not just for women. I really think that anybody can get something out of this book, something very powerful for moms, people who aren't moms, people who work, people who don't work, anybody. If you're a human, I really think that you can get something out of this book. So Untamed, I really hope you check it out by Glennon Doyle. She's amazing and she has the best Instagram. I also wanted to say that I didn't mention on the show that this book was surprisingly funny. And I'm really grateful to Glennon for the laughs, the very unexpected laughs in the most random of moments. I loved it. Anyway, thank you for listening to episode 35 of The Kin Show. I will be back next week. If you enjoyed the show, I would love it if you gave us a generous review on iTunes. Or, you know, better than that, share it with a friend who might enjoy the show. That is the best way that you can contribute. So thank you again. This is your host, Marcela, signing off.